Hello, everybody. Locked on Big 12 podcast. I'm your host, Josh Neighbors. With us today, Mike Zaza of 24-7 Sports. He covers West Virginia. Our year in review for West Virginia football is coming up on the show. What went wrong? Why is Neil Brown back? All that and more coming up. You are Locked On Big 12, your daily podcast on the Big 12 Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Once again, Locked On Big 12 Podcast, your host Josh Neighbors here. Make sure you guys subscribe to the channel. Uh, find us on Twitter at LO Big 12. You guys can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore. You guys can find Mike at Mike Casaza. Mike, first question for you. Number one, thank you for joining us. First question, uh, why is Neil Brown coming back for 2023? Can you, Man, you're the first, you're the first person asking that question. First person, right? Yeah. Only person to ask you that. So there are maybe 16.7 million reasons that he's back. (laughs) Um, I don't have to tell anybody that is listening to this and knows who I am, that that's a, that's a huge number. That's the buyout in his contract. Got an extension for going 11 and 11 after his first two years and, all the salary for the first four years are guaranteed uh, 85% after that. But you're at the point now where they would have to pay him $16.7 million because he gets all the money that he's guaranteed in the final four years of his contract. That's a huge number for a lot of schools. Um, that's a massive number for West Virginia. And it just didn't seem like that was the inspiration, you know, a five and seven record that they played well at the end of the season. Can you really, if you're West Virginia, can you really move on from that and a attach a huge price tag to it so that's one uh number two they they really tried to get the cart and the horse in the right order i think um they fired their athletic director but they did it in the middle of november and Mm -hmm. that takes some time to hire an athletic director to get him on the ground and to say by the way you want to write a 16.7 million dollar check as your first move and then hire replacement with a pretty short runway to the season now i don't think that's impossible in college athletics especially at the high level and i think if you hire um you know, adept people to do it that you can make it happen. Now, the question for West Virginia is whether they want to do hire an athletic director to hire a football coach. That's mm-hmm. not clear, and it seems like that there are indications that West Virginia went into the search for an AD saying, we really like to keep this guy. Now, that goes back to your original question, why? Is it the money? Is it the fact that, you know, he really hasn't done anything wrong apart from not winning games, which, which is a big <laughs> deal, I get that. But right. <laughs> recruited well. I think has established a, a healthy culture that that probably needs to be tailored and tucked in a little bit, but it's not a bad mood here, a bad vibe here. They just haven't won enough. So, you know, if this is like a, a YMCA league, it'd be awesome. But wins and losses count. And that's where they've really kind of been hung up and how you can ask that question so often and, and really kind of get a rambling answer. But I think the price tag was one, the timing of the athletic director and, and having to handcuff him with um, – kind of a hasty coaching search as his his or her first move that might have been you know a bit of a detractor for people who were coming into the situation hey do i want to come in and hire a coach in four weeks that's tough so they didn't and now you have a coach who's got at least one year maybe more uh, an athletic director saying all the right things rem baker from north texas but an athletic director who's going to come in um monday the 19th is his first day in the job and going to sit down and kind of link arms and neil brown and say how do we make this work but the entire time, you know, you're kind of looking over your back a little bit and saying, am I doing this right? And uh, Is this guy like me? Is that going to work? Um, it, it's a very weird arrangement at a place that is not new to very weird arrangements. So you do feel like Neil Brown, and I, I think this is true. I, he's got a legitimate chance to save to save his job. Uh, I mean, if, with a good performance. It's, it's, or is it just a waiting game? You know, like, what does... 
is it one of those deals where it's like a six and six or a seven and five type deal saves his job next season? Uh, or is it one of those we're just kind of waiting now to see if, you know, it's Ren Baker needs to get his kind of his, his feet under him and then make the change. You know, it's, that's a, that's a, another question that's been asked here a bunch. And to go back a little bit, when Dana Holgerson was the head coach, he was kind of pushing for a contract extension after his fourth year, I believe. Fifth year. Um, and it didn't happen. The new athletic director was Shane Lyons, and he did not want to do it. And just because he was new and he wanted to figure things out. Similar situation here. Not not identical, but the things I'm saying are, are going to sound familiar. You know, the new AD wanted to get a laid land, figure stuff out. Uh, the athletic director cut off negotiations before the 2016 season. Uh, Dana went ahead and won 10 games. So yeah, yeah that was a weird situation. I remember how weird that was, right? It was like he went out there and kicked ass and it was kind of one of those weird situations. Like, all right, well, I guess we're just both going to part ways, you know, at that point, because yeah. there's, like there's a lot of animosity. Well, no, before that, they actually capitulated and they gave him the extension, right? right. They had to, he just right. won 10 games. And then like two years later, it was two years later. Yeah. yeah. So um, now you have this, this deal now where can it happen? And, to go back to that 2016 season, and it sounds weird to denigrate a 10-win season, but they didn't beat a ranked team. Mm-hmm. Um, the schedule coming out in the Big 12 probably won't have both Texas and Oklahoma. You'll probably have, you know, Cincinnati and BYU or something like that. You're going to have some new teams in there. You can shake the snow globe, Josh, and look at it and say, well, maybe the Big 12 is easier. You know, maybe the non-conference isn't so tough. Maybe Pitt won't be so good. Penn State's legitimate. That's going to be their first opponent of the season. But get that one out of the way. You know, maybe don't lose out in your third game of the year. There, there's just a whole bunch of what about this? And how about this? And, you know, a, a complaint that I a complaint, a question I frequently have around here is like, I'm not really sure who they're convincing with arguments like this. Is it fans and media or is it themselves? And this one here just seems to me like they're trying to convince themselves. Hey, if a number of things go right that have not gone right at all or consistently, then this may work. And that's true. You know, if they nail the transfer portal. That hasn't happened. If they get all the recruits on campus and on the field the first year, they've got them on campus. They haven't had a lot of impact from freshmen. If they can keep players from going in the portal, that already hasn't happened. So you kind of see the bricks coming down a little bit, even as they're trying to build it up. But yeah, sure. Like if they if they do find a way to X number of wins, then he stays. But here's your question, Josh. What is it? Because the bar right now is they did not make a bowl game. If they make a bowl game next year, that's improvement. Right. But like a six and six is nothing in 2022, 2023. Like right. you should be in a bowl game. That's, that's hardly aspirational football. So if they go to a bowl game, is he off the hook? Or is this, you just take another spin on the merry-go-round here and do it again next year. That doesn't seem healthy either. And then how many wins would take us off that merry-go-round? Are you really, are you, are you really expecting this, this program to win eight and or a bowl next season? I would have a hard time looking at the roster and just projecting who they're coming in or who they're going to put out there to say that's a very reasonable expectation. Um, and then how do you get to eight? Do you, do you get two in non-conference play? And, you know, maybe like, again, you're talking six big 12 wins for a team that just hasn't done that before. Um, it's just a strange situation and you're, you're putting old expectations on a new regime. And that's sometimes that can be good for like invigoration, but as I said, like just part of the process already right now, like if these things happen, well, a couple Marty aren't happening and that's not a good start. Uh, My my problem with this group in particular, as we kind of look back at the season, uh, it kind of reminded me of, of TCU from last year. They didn't do anything well. Like they, they, there was no clear identity. When you watch West Virginia week to week, I never felt like I was saying, ah, old faithful blank, you know, fill in the blank. 
Uh, at least they have that to fall back on. And because you, know, you kind of look at some of the numbers, like I think it kind of bears that out. I mean, there's nothing in particular that really jumped out at me. The rushing offense was was pretty good, right? Like top half of FBS good, but not out of this world good. Scoring offense was pretty good, but not you know, not crazy. The defense was outright bad. Um, and their passing offense was pretty hit or miss, right? So like, I think that's, I, I, I think it's number one for Noel Brown. Like, what can your team – they got to do something well, in my opinion, if they want to turn this thing around. Do you kind of have – did you have the same sense watching them week in and week out this year? They didn't do anything particularly very well? That's the knock. What are they good at? Um, if you play West Virginia and they hand you their business card after the game, right? You think players like swap jerseys, something like that. But let's just say right. like they have a business card. What does it say they did? Here's a defense first team. Here's a run first team. Here's an air raid team. Hey, we beat you on special teams. No. And, and like, you can't take pride in time of possession <laughs> right. in 2023. And like, that's kind of, that's like a, a chest thumper around here. Hey, we had great time of possession. We ran a lot of plays. If you're running a lot of plays and you're scoring like 48 points a game, like vintage air raid, you know, that, that hyper speed stuff when the big 12 was really humming. Okay. Now you're going, sir. When you're you're snapping at 87 times a game, you're getting 27 points, 30 points. Not great. Um, and yeah, they've been like aggressively average in a lot of important areas too, and places they want to be good that that matter. Red zone offense, red zone defense, um, just organizational things about hey, coming off the goal line or or in between the 40s, and like they have all these little canisters like to put their offense in for description and qualification purposes. And you never really look at one of them and go, hey, that's it. That's what you build on. And you know. I watched last year in the bowl game when they played Minnesota and the final score was 18 to six. Yeah. And it felt like Minnesota dominated that game because Minnesota had terrific offensive and defensive lines and they ran the ball more and as well as anybody in the country, Minnesota's boring, but Minnesota was good at their boring. And you can look around the country, maybe just taking the big 10 and say, there are teams that are boring, but they're very good at being boring. If you're boring and you're not good, what are you doing? And then there's a shelf life on that too. Like I think that PJ Fleck wants to be not boring and he's, he's trended toward exciting in, in times before and after that bull game. And look what happened at Wisconsin and what's happening at Iowa. Boring, not good. And you, you just see change after a while there too. So they, they need to find something they can hang their hat on. And like what's, what's probably discouraging here is that they did bring in an air raid coach and Graham Harrell and they, they thought they solved their quarterback conundrum by getting JT Daniels and, you know, from the gap between Will Greer and JT Daniels is not very large. It's three seasons, but it felt like a lifetime. And Daniels was terrific at the start of the season and really just kind of faded, which is kind of a sad story for his his story as a college player. And he was replaced by kind of a running mobile RPO quarterback. So you get the offensive coordinator in that everybody thinks is, is a, a solution to the problem. You get the quarterback who's supposed to make that solution come even quicker and more emphatically, and it doesn't happen. And you just kind of look at the common denominator of poor offenses, Players going into the portal, you know, underperforming positions. It's all on offense. And Neil Brown's been in the charge of the offense. And how does it change right now? And you got to bring people in like an offensive coordinator, an offensive staff and say, hey, come along in this journey with me and do something that hasn't been done before. For a lot of people, that's really inviting. But tomorrow isn't promised here. So how do they get people? Right. Hey, everyone. Quick word from our sponsors on today's show. Today's Locked On Big 12 podcast is brought to you all by the folks over at LinkedIn. If you all are trying to hire right now, we know that every single potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available 
That's why you need to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. You guys can go do that once again today at LinkedIn Jobs. They help you find those qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Yeah, where, where are we on the offensive corner? So obviously Graham Harrell ends up going. He's now going to go to Purdue, right? Um, so where are they on the offensive court? And look, coordinator stuff is, I mean, Graham's a good example. It is year to year, right? So, you know, I, I'm kind of thinking about, all right, like, you know, is it unattractive the fact that it could only be a one-year position? A lot of these coordinator things can be one-year positions anyway, right? Uh, and it can be a launching pad to go elsewhere, so where are they right now with trying to find a replacement for Graham Harrell and offensive coordinator? What what do you think philosophically will be the the aim with that? Well, we're talking here for a couple minutes now, Josh. And uh, if you see a 304 number on your cell phone, you might want to answer it. <laughs> you seem like you've got qualifications here because they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're going to have to scratch a little <laughs> they're gonna bit. They're going to dig deep, right? They're going to dig deep to uh, to find somebody. Yeah, like this is armchair analysis, but I think it's astute too. It's, it's a hard situation to talk someone to come into and everybody could say, Hey, they got Graham Harrell last year. Cool. He wasn't going to have a job at USC on Lincoln Riley staff. So a guy who is from a similar branch, I wouldn't say the same tree as Neil Brown, but does coach the, the air raid and does speak the language like Brown does. That makes some sense. And here's a guy who can be like a quarterback whisper and bang, they land JT Daniels. And you know, they thought they had a shot, maybe a Jackson dart and people like that. And that's a good shot in the arm. But that was a situation that has worked for everybody. Now, can you look at similar situation now? Can you look at power five jobs or group of five jobs where it's a, a really qualified coordinator and say, he's not going to have a job there? Hmm, okay. Like, are we talking like Nebraska and Mark Whipple? Well, there's a there's certainly a connection there with Neil Brown in his past. So maybe that makes sense. But also, is Neil Brown going to call the plays? Because here's a guy mm-hmm. who kicked it into a corner this year. Um, right now, he's got to win. He has to win. And this past season was the only time when he's been like in an offensive leadership position, head coach or offensive coordinator, whether that's a Troy, Kentucky, um, Texas Tech, where he did not call plays. It was better. It wasn't good. And what did it get him? It got him a vote of confidence from his athletic director or his interim athletic director. You don't want that. So now does he say, okay, the deviation from the plan of my career arc got me in this position. Let's go back to what I knew, which is him calling plays. So now you're not hiring an offensive coordinator. You're hiring a position coach. Right. Uh, Maybe he comes in and he coordinates the offense on Tuesdays and Wednesdays in the meetings, but he's not calling the plays. So I think that it needs some direction here and some definition before we can give you an answer. But it's kind of fitting that maybe it is a little bit more scattered. I'm sure that it's more organized, but they're not telling me these things, what they're going to do. But I would think it's not unreasonable that Neil's your offensive coordinator. But even from there, Josh, they have three assistant coaches who are on expiring contracts at the end of next month. Um, Signing day is Wednesday, you know, as well as I do. Coaches leave right after signing day too, right? Um, so they have a quarterback's coach opening. They have a tight ends coach who was their quarterback coach before last year. It could be as simple as Neil becomes the offensive coordinator. They slide the tight ends coach back toward the quarterback's coach position. He knew those quarterbacks. He recruited uh, one of them, Garrett Green. He was in on the recruitment of another one. He was the quarterback coach at the time when they were recruiting Nico Marchio. So that makes some sense. But is that going to light the world on fire? No, absolutely not. So now you got to supplement that by hiring a name or a recruiter or something. Who's coming here into this situation? It's a very complex, interesting process here. It's not unique to West Virginia, but you know, you see how how really fickle the whole thing can be right now. You may have a really good coach in the line. Y'all come and do it, but man, I just don't know if you're gonna be there next year, you know. And that's that could be disqualifying. 
And then you might find a group of five coaches or, or somewhere else who just says, hey, I can do this. Coaches have egos, right? And mm-hmm. if you tell them they can't do something, they might want to do it. So it, it's unsettled right now. And I don't want to say it's directionless, but as I try to explain it to you, we don't know the direction they're going in. Are they going to hire a play caller? Are they going to hire a quarterback coach? Is Neil going to call plays? Are they going to move their quarterback coach back? And by the way, there are other two expiring contract coaches are their offensive line coach who has kind of been embattled here, but had a pretty good season this past year where a years long plan kind of started to take footing and move forward. And then their running backs coach where running back has been their best room for a while. He could be the coordinator. I don't know, maybe just a name, but you look at their constitution of the roster right now, it does make sense to lean a little bit into like a run first run heavy offense. And maybe the running backs coaches that, but you got to keep them to do it. Yeah. So that kind of gets to the the next question about the quarterback, you know, this because I feel like a lot of the talk right now about West Virginia, and rightfully so, is, is a lot of big picture stuff, right? I mean, the league is changing. They made a change at athletic director. They're contemplating a change at coach. We're talking about a change in offensive coordinator. We're talking about other changes at stat, you know, with, with the actual staff itself. And so it's all this big picture stuff that we're talking about here. And something that's really specific and they have to figure out is the quarterback situation, right? Um, and you know, I know people really love Nico Marchio. I, I know that Garrett Green was the one who came in and looked pretty good there towards the end of the year. Obviously, it was very run-heavy with him, uh, that Oklahoma game. I mean, he was, you know, fantastic. That wasn't a great run defense they went up against, but he was really good in that game. So what's the plan, do you think, at quarterback? Is it going to be looking for somebody, you know, in the portal to come in and challenge? Is it going to be Marchio against Garrett Green? Is it Garrett Green kind of lean now? Where do you think? Obviously, some of this is driven by who is calling the plays. But what do you think they're going to do at quarterback? Because it's a massive, massive question mark for them next year. Yeah. So right now they only have Garrett Green and Nico Marchio. And, you know, recruiting class, fine. But, like, I don't think you want to go into a season with your third-string guy being, like, a true freshman. So right. they have to hit the portal. They have to. Um, they also have to keep Marchio and Green, too. That's that's the fact of the matter that that is unspoken, but it's probably understood, too, is that that's a hard position to re- retain. And I don't think there's an expiration date on quarterbacks going into the portal, perhaps especially after spring football, too. Right. You might make a decision, and even if you don't make a decision, you you might make a decision. Like, if you're not going to crown one of them, well, that person might know it's not for me. Or, I, mean, I was way better, or I am way worse. Time for me to go. So they really need to think about that because they lost JT Daniels and they lost Will Crowder to the portal. Um, they had four. They have two now. That's going to be hard for them to, to, to figure out how to add them <sighs> because you're really bringing in a backup. Like, I don't think they want to bring somebody in to, to shake it up and become the starter just because Marchio – was such a, a heavily invested in recruit. They put a lot of resources into getting him, and, and they did. And he played the second half of the the final game. I believe he completed two passes. He ran a couple times. It, miserable weather, but um, right. The 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 praise heaped upon him for that performance was such that it made you think that he's in the captain's chair going forward. And if you kind of buttress that against the way that they've been kind of reluctant to give Garrett Green a lot of praise for his performance of the year, by going off script and you know, going through reads and basically being an extension of the coach. It just stood out to me that they did not treat the two the same. And then beyond that, you know, one green's a, you know, a five eleven speedster who can really run, like really run. And people have told me that the, his increase in speed and like 40 time uh, reduction is, is pretty striking for a college player. Never mind a quarterback. What do you have there? Well, they had a guy that they turned into a slot receiver during the year. That's how much they think of him athletically. Maybe that's also how much I think of him as a quarterback, too. So right. When they had to make a change late in the season, they did. And, and you wonder how much that has to do with the walls 
kind of closing into the coach. And they went to some RPO stuff, but they they really did run like an air raid offense where they put a new quarterback in. Well, that offensive coordinator is gone now. And if you look at their their offensive line coming back, a loaded running back room, they're recruiting pretty well at running back still now. I'm not saying they go wishbone or veer here or something, but I mean this this thing about throwing it 60-40 doesn't make a lot of sense to me. If you got offensive linemen who are big, old, mature players who can move people, and you have a running threat at quarterback, and you can play, you know, that extra hat in the running game. If they get themselves, you know, one or two tight ends in the portal, which I think are are low risk, high reward players, if you do it right. If you're not looking for people who are going to, you know, run at the seam and, and, you know, pick balls out of the sky, you know, if you want like Iowa State guys who can be threats, but also they're, they're big linemen, you can move around and create mismatches and unbalanced formations and everything. But now you got some potential to be kind of a run heavy team. You know, you can run a lot in air raid stuff and make the passing game a little bit easier. You can run RPO. Like, are they going to go to, you know, speed option stuff like Rich Rodriguez had here? I don't know about that. Are they going to be Dana's air raid? And that'd be stupid because they just don't have the personnel because what we haven't mentioned yet, they don't have receivers right now. Yeah, They, <laughs> they lost their top two ones right. to the NFL a year early. They lost <clears throat> their best recruit in a while at the position, maybe at large, to the portal. They lost the number four receiver. Their two junior college players who didn't play a whole lot last season. They had maybe 16, 18 catches. They're back. They got a receiver from Kent State in the portal the other day. They're, they're kind of piecing it together there. And if you if you lower the the ceiling, so to speak, on um, the receiving game, well, they can kind of break through a little bit quicker, I think. So it just makes a lot of sense just to be a running first, running second offense next year. And the, the thing about this is both those quarterbacks can do that. We talked about how good of a running quarterback Green is. Marquio can move too. Um, bigger kid, not as fast, but he can, he's got some moves in the open field. And I think his understanding of the game would help him out an awful lot. One more word from our sponsors on today's show. We are brought to you all by BetOnline and BetOnline.net, the best source for your sports action. If you guys follow me on Twitter, every single week when I post my Big 12 lines, they are always from BetOnline and BetOnline.net. It's your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can get the latest odds and trends for every pro and amateur league out there, from pro football to college bowl season, from basketball to the World Cup, and now whatever else soccer you want to bet on, they've got it all at BetOnline and BetOnline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can even find those at BetOnline as well. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your sports betting info. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. Yeah, I mean, the running back is, you know, the one thing they did really well this year. And obviously, it was funny because they moved over. It's, it started with them moving over, you know. I mean, CJ was a tight end recruit, right? Like, it's funny. If you go to the stats on ESPN, he's still listed as a tight end, mm-hmm. which is obviously not what <laughs> that's not what happened. Yeah. So the story on him was that they just saw a guy. They're, they're like, this guy is not this. He's not that. But, man, he does something every time he's got the ball. Right. And then I think, candidly, like, when, when you get a guy like that and he recruits, he, he commits to Tulane. And you start thinking about what, what would he be like as a running back? Like, what would he be like? Because I don't I don't know why he was going to Tulane and what Tulane was going to do with him standing next to the left tackle. Right. Don't that, right? He's got way too much skill. So there right. was something there with him in a, in a clever offense that can make it work. And he's back. And if you're talking 6'2", 240, you throw, you know, um, Tony Matheson there, Justin Johnson, Jalen Anderson, who – Listen, I could spend a whole separate podcast on my thoughts on Jalen Anderson. I think I've, I think I own all the stock. All the stock. Away yeah. on him. Um, 
they, they just have they have three, four running backs in the field they can get there repeatedly to. How are they going to do it? I have no idea. It's going to be interesting, but they, they do have a chance here. Led by Donaldson, if he comes back and he plays the position at the same level. Um, because, again, on him, anecdotally, they thought he would be a guy who could come in tight end, flex him out and play slot. Now you got a guy who can do two things, and maybe they'll hand it to him a little bit before his career is over. It's inverse right now. He's so good with the ball in his hands as a running back. Like, wait a minute, can we can we have him and then maybe line up a tight end or perhaps receiver? Um, I, I wonder what they do with him. That's probably something I'm most excited about once he gets back and healed in the spring to see what they do with him because why wait on his development? Why mm-hmm. not accelerate and see what he can do? Because he's, he's definitely got those gifts. On the defensive side of things, th- this is where I think one of the big problems a lot of people identify this is obviously like they've had a tough time keeping talent as of late, yep. right? And then a lot of really good players – move on and, and that that was that was something that happened this year too obviously some injuries but they just and it was really inconsistent on the defensive side um and I, look i know virginia tech was bad i was at the game that they played pretty well in that in that game on defense obviously the oklahoma state game oklahoma state's a little bit of a disaster on offense there towards the end of the year um ou game was a really bad weather right and they were able to you know play some pretty good defense in that one and so you know, like you think about the games that they actually won this year, uh, not, you know, some good performances, but some other outside factors. And obviously the Baylor game, that was not a lot of defense being played in that one on either side of the ball. Uh, but they did get the, the key stops. They needed them. So what about, what needs to change on this defense moving forward? It felt like this year we weren't talking about any of the players on that defense as difference makers in a way that we had in the past. Yeah. So I figured this out. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So TCU's in the playoff, right? Correct. In the middle of the season, TCU was wrecking dudes and knocking quarterbacks out of the game. Yeah. <laughs> That's right there. Yeah. yeah. Um, they they beat a tech team that just had really poor quarterback play. Uh, they literally knocked Blake Shapen out of the game um, and Baylor. And Jerome's was good in that game, but wasn't good enough. But if Shapen stays in that game, he got knocked on a targeting hit. I mean, he thrown he thrown like for like what like two hundred yards already. At, at that it was point like a three hundred in the first half. Yeah, um, I mean, he was, yeah. yeah Oklahoma State had a backup quarterback. Um, Oklahoma had, I think, at least two, and we could say maybe more, drop touchdown passes. Um, yeah, it was, uh, Marvin awful. Mims, I think. That was one of his special – because he was awful this year catching yeah. the ball. Yeah. Also had one called back on a, uh offensive pass interference, which I hardly saw called this year. Uh, but anyways, they they won that game. They won the Baylor game. But, like, when, when the other team had good quarterback play, it was really bad. If you look at what happened, uh, Will Howard, uh, Max Duggan – I wouldn't even say like uh, Baron Morton is a great quarterback. He had a great day against West Virginia. He was certainly competent, but when they when they had guys with a pulse, they had a hard time. So if they can get pressure on the quarterback, never mind like headhunting, but if they can get pressure on the quarterback, they'll be better. It'll make life easier on their um, secondary. Problem is that like just it just seemed like schematically they've been kind of loath to pressure the quarterback a bunch in the past. You know, if they can get organic pressure from their front, great. Uh, they have a bandit position, which is kind of like this Hellraiser wrecking ball at the end that was great for Troy in the Sunbelt Conference and, and had some player of the year, um, all-conference players in there. And they go back to like, well, this is the Demarcus Lawrence position. Oh, I mean, that, that guy's – excuse me, uh, no, Demarcus Ware uh, yeah. position. Well, that guy's like a unicorn, right? <laughs> like right. There's not a lot of him on campuses anywhere. So they haven't had that production from an edge rusher. They've had good players – on their defensive line. And that's changing now because, um, you know, they should probably retire Dante Stills Jersey because he stayed as long as he did. And that made it seem like, Hey, this defense has some hope. 
I mean, if you take him out, their defense is, is pretty um, thin the past couple of years up front when it comes to production and sacks and things like that, too. And he didn't have to be on the team the last two years, but he decided to. No stills now. They lose Taj Austin to the portal. They lose Justin Jefferson to the portal. It's your entire starting defensive line, really. That's that's tough. Um, you know, Austin was a part-time starter, but was pretty good. And then now you're going to find a way to ask new people to be pass rushers on the defensive line of the Big 12. Mm, that's tough. They're, and they don't really ask a lot for for blitzing from their Will and Mike linebackers. They really need to play two linebackers. That bandit position, I said, supposed to like come screaming off the edge and make stuff happen. Hasn't really. It's a hard position to recruit. Don't get me wrong. Uh, a lot of those guys are like, you know, three-point defensive ends in the SEC or something like that. So then what? Do you ask your secondary just to cover better, maybe play man, be better in his own? Well, they're replacing a lot in the secondary. They want to get like six, seven, eight defensive backs in the portal. So I don't know what the solution is here. Um, you know, if they if they can find a way to be just better in coverage, cool, that's it. But that might require shortening plays with your pass rush. But if you pass rush, you're kind of putting your defensive backs maybe an island. That's tricky. Um, the whole puzzle needs to be kind of taken apart and put back together again. And, you know, they have some recruits that I think they can do that that are already on campus, like redshirted, or, or maybe they're going to be redshirt sophomores. But they lose a lot of experience in, in positions they got to be good at, and it's going to be hard for them to, you know, stop the run and stop the pass just based on who they have and, and what you can kind of project from them being able to stop things or prevent things in the front or back. And I want to end this, try to end this on somewhat of a positive, because, like, they were 5-7, and seven, so it wasn't like, you know, I mean, they were – close-ish to being in a bowl game, although it didn't really feel like they were that that close, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, the recruiting class, like this is, I think this is the best recruiting class, at least right now, you know, Neil Brown set up to have uh, in terms of rankings or whatever that's worth. But it's a good recruiting class. Is your expectation that we're going to start to see more of more younger guys play? I mean, because right now they're losing, like I guess they can try to balance it out in the portal, but what, there are 11 guys are in the portal right now? From West Virginia, is that is it the number? Fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. So. A couple of them are players who left during the season, I think. So eleven may be about right since you know, yeah. the season. And they're not all guys. Some of them are like you know just right. guys out there. But yeah, sure. it's a number. It's a number for sure. Yeah. Um, do you think we're going to see more of these younger guys start to get some opportunities? Or are they just going to go try to go portal heavy? Like, how are they going to fix this? I mean, I know, I know. Once again, the recruiting class is good, but like that stuff usually takes time, especially at schools like West Virginia. You think about those, you know, schools that they prefer develop as 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 opposed to playing the younger guys. Uh, how do you think the roster kind of shakes out in 2023 in terms of like who is going to be getting PT? Yeah, you know, what? And, and to go back to your initial question about why do they keep him, he has recruited well. Like his recruiting right. rankings have yeah. been solid. They've gotten high caliber players um, who do well academically and every now and then get in the field and make something happen. They're fortunate this year that, you know, two of their top players in the class are receivers. Uh, Rodney Gallagher is a guy who could play anywhere and he's from about half an hour away. I think they'll feel a lot better when they see that facts come through on Wednesday morning, just because, just because like that's right. That's you, never coach, you never know. You never know. player Because he's so good. And like Penn state, for example, going to snap their fingers, maybe make something happen, but looks like they'll hang on to him. Uh, they kind of got a sleeper receiver that they really like. That's gotten a lot of pub lately trailing Ray from down in Florida. So they, they've kind of hit some spots. That's an inside receiver Gallagher and outside receiver and Ray. All of a sudden, maybe your receiver problem is solved, but you don't know until you play him. And that's been a reluctance the staff has had is on your skill positions. It's it's a different story for defensive line and offensive line, I think. And maybe the expectation isn't even for linebackers to play just because they're it's tough. But they just haven't had great contributions from running backs, from quarterbacks, from receivers, from corners and safeties. Um, until this past season, where they, they had to play some people because, well, a couple of reasons. Weren't very good. Just weren't. And they needed some splashes. And they had some injuries. 
but also because like it doesn't make sense to redshirt guys it just doesn't and that's been a, a philosophy that they've kind of embraced a little bit lately too is why have the guy sit out for a year and then go somewhere else and be developed for a season he goes right away and, and matches up and, and plays well somewhere else like that's a risk that you can't take now and you can answer a lot of questions for players by just playing them like hey i'm good enough to play here not quite good enough to go to some other program that's whispering in my ear i saw it i was out there i know better i'll stay here now you may have to have that conversation every year that's just the way the, the immediate eligibility goes right now but they don't know and you don't know until you do it and it's one thing to play guys in these monday night developmental practices against other freshmen and red shirts and developmental players and if one guy's cooking other guys you know he's a receiver who can't be checked if he's a defense fan who can't be stopped it's probably supposed to happen that way very different when you're going against a, a big 12 corner a big 12 left tackle and then all of a sudden things come back to the medium the medium a little bit so it's good to play them for for the coaches to have to get those answers but also the players too they gets overlooked sometimes too players know they know and if you give them answers then at least they know towards some outcome so now you have those conversations and you can shape it a little bit hey you know you look great in that money and i practice you look very good against them <clears throat> hey you look great in that uh well, I guess I don't have a bowl game. I was going to say a bowl practice, but like right. you look great in that off week practice, but man, just TCU is a different animal, huh? So things like mm-hmm. that are conversations you have to have, but they they are going to have to play them because of necessity and they're going to have to play them because they're going to lose a number of them every year, as is everybody. I think the problem is is not unique to West Virginia. Uh, they do lose a lot every year now. There's something to be said about that, I'm sure. It kind of requires investigation, explanation, but how do you solve it? Right. The problem is the problem. Everybody's got the problem. We differentiate ourselves by how we address and create solutions and how they do that is probably getting eyes in the field, devoting more time to them in practice or the spring, creating packages for them. Um, just having a plan for them and doing something there too. So it's, it's one thing to play them, but to play them with a purpose and a plan where it kind of, it speaks to them, their high school coaches, their parents. So when they have those inevitable conversations of them thinking of leaving, you have a lot of information to educate and say, not a great idea or yeah, I understand why you're leaving. So um, it just starts to get them on the field, getting them on campus. Yeah, absolutely. But get them on the field because right. you have to, and you need to. Right. Uh, Mike, we appreciate your time. Where can people find you and your work and all of its variety? Might be calling plays for the Mountaineers next year. If they don't hire you, <laughs> maybe it's me. Maybe I dug myself too deep. Hole I, I, no, you I'm might have. Sports.com. E E R S P O R T S. That's the 24 seven affiliate for West Virginia. And then uh, every now and then on, on Twitter, when it's not too toxic, uh, Mike Casaza got my name right over here. Yeah, I spelled it correctly. There you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I messed it up. The first, I bet you get that a lot. I bet people get, get it wrong all the time. So I'm no one no one gets that one wrong, and no one asks me about why Neil Brown's still the coach. Right. Nobody does. Nobody Never. does. Uh, Mike, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Josh.